I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog fans, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the, the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. As of this recording, we are 24 hours removed from the news, and we're going to start on a downer. Angela Lansbury has passed away. The legendary Angela Lansbury. Disney fans know her. She's Mrs. Potts. She's Eglin Time Price. Most people might know her as Jessica Fletcher on Murder, She Wrote, but she has so much more. I mean, Mrs. Lovett? Yeah. Uh, I was uh, just playing. There's a a video game that's kind of popular right now called Played Up. I was playing it with a friend. You run a a restaurant, and uh, we were making meat pies, and we named it Mrs. Lovett's Mm -hmm. uh, after her. So, I mean, she's been she's been in the game for a while, all the way back to the 1940s. Yeah, it was a 75-year career. Yeah, Yeah, her her first film was Gaslight. Uh, uh, Yes, as in the movie that coined the term gaslighting. Uh, She was was just a a teenager uh, when she did that one, I think. With all the loss we've had this year alone, starting with Betty White all the way down, it's like... uh, Can we just wrap up, like, Maggie Smith and Julie Andrews and Judi Dench in, like, bubble wrap for the rest of their lives? Yeah. Make sure nothing happens to them? I mean, everybody remembers Angela Lansbury for her sweeter roles, I guess. And that's fair. If you've if you've never seen her in like the Manchurian Candidate, go treat yourself because who that will make your blood run cold. She she had some range on her. Her her final film has yet to come out, and it will be Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel for Netflix. Yeah, that one will be bittersweet. Yeah, but I mean, I I have been looking forward to that. I I really liked Lives Out, but I mean, yeah, but. we could do a three-hour podcast just on the career of Angela Lansbury. But it's like, where do you start? Where do you end? It's like it's just there's so much, and she's done. You know, they you know uh, they say that the word legend gets thrown around too much, but Angela Lansbury's a legend. Playbill recently put this on his social media, and uh, this is a quote from Angela Lansbury on how she wanted to be remembered. And uh, the quote goes, I'd like them to think consummate performer, and that really comes just came into my head. I am a performer, and I never want to be thought of only as a star or as a celebrity. I just want to be a meaningful, entertaining performer. 
And that's how Angela Lansbury wants to be remembered. But I honestly think that quote is selling herself too short. Yeah, I I read one thing that honestly I didn't know, which was that when she was doing Murder, She Wrote, she made sure to get them to put in as many parts for older actors as they could for guest stars and for people who had quote unquote aged out of the profession and were having trouble finding work because it would help them keep their union benefits and earn points for their pension and for their medical benefits, um, keep their health insurance, things like that. And in fact, she had one part created for an actress because she learned the actress had MS and was going to lose her medical insurance if she couldn't find work, but she was having work. Uh, she was having difficulty finding work because of her diagnosis. And so she had the writers create a recurring part specifically for that actress so that she would be able to come into work every few episodes and do a short kind of cameo role and thus be able to keep her medical benefits uh, and treat her her MS. Truly and, a kind soul, honestly. And and I thought, I mean, you wanna you wanna talk about a real one? <laughs> yeah, that's a real one right there. Just a few days short of her ninety seventh birthday. You you don't want your favorites to go, and when they go, it hurts. And that's how the. And Kiki can attest to the string of expletives I I texted her when I found out. Yeah, I hated to be the one to break that news to you, but uh, you were the the first person I sent it to when I when I found out because I knew we would have to discuss it. Um, and yeah, that was a, a kind of harsh string to to receive back. But honestly, that was exactly how I was feeling when I when I saw it myself. Um, it's you you want to be the type of person to live a life that even when you go at 96 people go like man that was too young no, i feel like we're we, not allowed to leave us at 96 too I feel young like we said the same thing about betty white <laughs> yeah but i mean betty betty white went at 99 and you were like no no mm -hmm. that is not long enough with betty white and honestly same thing with angela lansbury you're like no not enough time with Angela Lansbury. Yeah. Just, thank you, Angela Lansbury, for everything. Go go watch some of her musical performances. Go watch some MAME or, or something. <laughs> Turn on the Disney Plus and uh, watch Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and Beauty and the Beast and that few-minute cameo she had in Mary Poppins Returns and if you can find that, uh, I know there is a video recording of her on stage uh, doing Sweeney Todd. You could hunt that hunt that down. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
Tonal shift time. <laughs> this week, I don't know how I'm going to get into this, but we're going to try to get into this. This week's Keeping the Spirit of Spooky Season, we are going into the actual genuine horror, starting with Jennifer's Body. Yeah, this is the one you're going to need to get the kids out of the room for, because we're getting into the the rather graphic horror for this one. We've We've had it, I mean, what we do in the shadows is not for kids. But we kind of uh, danced around some of the more adult things. If you if you watch it, you know they're they're very explicit in their language, and it's rather bloody. Uh, but we didn't really get into a lot of that. Um, but there is no way to discuss Jennifer's body without getting into the hard R rating of this film so um bye kids we'll see you after spooky season yeah so if if you're one of the our <laughs> listeners that listens with the little ones we'll see you in november because the rest of the month we're going into deep into the 20th century studios horror library one of the few things uh you know one of the positives of the disney buying out 20th century fox <laughs> Yeah, we can we can finally, you know, when we when we started the podcast, we were like, uh, the Halloween is kind of a weird season because Disney doesn't really do a lot of Halloween. Yeah, with the Fox buyout, Disney kind of does Halloween now. So, uh Yeah, let's have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jennifer's body Listed as a horror comedy, and there are some comedic elements into this movie. The, again, we are going to say this one last time. The adult conversation is starting right now. Parental discretion is advised. The comedic part, at least the one that got... I know it's not supposed to get a laugh, but it is a comedic moment, is when, uh, when, uh, when Needy and Chip are having sex... And she's and Needy is getting the psychic vision of what Jennifer's doing, and Chip just thinks he's the manliest man who ever manned in, in bed. <laughs> yeah, um, that that is, you can tell this was written by a woman though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the reasons why I love this movie is that. It is very much a movie that was written by a woman, directed by a woman, and starring women. Um, one of the things that gets brought up with this movie a lot when we talk about this movie is that it was marketed horribly. This was marketed as a sexy horror movie. You know, all of this, you know, because... Megan Fox was seen as the hot girl in a lot of movies. So we're going to focus on how hot Megan Fox is. Oh, you know, uh, the big thing about the trailers was, you know, I thought you only, you know, killed men. I go both ways. <laughs> well, her biggest role prior to this, Megan Fox's, was Transformers. She was the hot girl from Transformers. That's how most people knew her, if you knew her at all. 
Um, and Michael Bay had kind of done her dirty. Let's let's be real about that. Um, in in the way that uh, they had treated her in Transformers in in the movie and and on the set. Um, I mean, to, she, to 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 the point where she didn't return for the third film. Yeah, I mean it. It was you know there's there's a lot of stories uh, about about that. You can look them up. I will not really get too deep in the woods on that here. That really controlled the conversation in the media about Megan Fox, and it controlled her career at the time. Diablo Cody, who wrote this film, um, was known before this for writing Juno, which had won Diablo Cody an Oscar, also the movie that kind of gave the world their first big look at Elliot Page. So that movie had hit it really big, and Diablo Cody had won the Oscar for it. And after that, everybody was like, okay, Diablo Cody is the new hotness. She can do whatever she wants. What movie do you want to do next? Quirky indie writer Diablo Cody. And she was like, I want to do a horror film. And I want it to star Megan Fox. And everybody was like, okay, that's 180 degrees different from the quirky teen comedy about unplanned pregnancy <laughs> that you just did. And she was like, no, 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 I, I want like a hard R horror film starring Megan Fox. And honestly, the only reason the studio went for it was Oscar winner Diablo Cody and Megan Fox is hot. In fact, Diablo Cody talks about in an interview that she did with Megan Fox on the 10th anniversary of the movie that she was emailing back and forth with a studio executive uh, a man about how they were going to market the movie and the executive kept throwing out ideas and Diablo Cody said I think you're going the wrong way with this and she finally said tell me what you th what your plan is for marketing this movie and he sent her back three words which were just Megan Fox hot. And that was the only thing the studio wanted. They just wanted to show pictures of Megan Fox walking slowly down a hallway and, you know, unzipping her top and then being like, Jennifer's body. Come watch it. You know, like, <laughs> that's all they wanted. And I remember... It seems like if they could have called the movie Megan Fox's Body and just showed Megan Fox's body, they can get away with it, I guess. Yeah, and I remember when the film came out, you know, I mean, you know me, I'm a huge horror fan. Mm. And when the film came out, I skipped it initially. Because it 
did not look like anything I would want to see. Because the entire marketing was like, do you want to see Megan Fox's boobs? Come watch this movie. And I was like, I mean, no offense to Megan Fox's boobs, but what what else you got for me? Is there a plot? You know, do, 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 what are there scares? Do people get murdered in this movie? Like, what, what what else is going on other than Megan Fox has boobs? Uh, as someone myself who has really never seen this movie before this watch of this podcast, my thing was, okay, it's called Jennifer's Body and it's a horror movie. It's just all you know is here's this hot chick and it's a horror movie. Does she become a murderer? Does she do the thing? And then when they get into the supernatural part, oh, you know what? They could have actually put this in the advertising and I would have watched this movie. Yeah, it's there is nothing in the initial advertisement. If you go back and watch the original trailers and and stuff, there is nothing to give you any idea about what what the film is about, what the concept of the film is about. Demonic possession, succubus, revenge fantasy, toxic female friendship. You know, just like, I mean, you'd barely know that Amanda Seyfried is even in this movie. And she and she herself is coming right off of success from Mamma Mia. Yeah, I mean, she had been prior to this, you know, Mamma Mia, she had been in Veronica Mars, she had been in Mean Girls. She had been, I mean, she'd had a good career prior to this. Arguably name, more yeah. so than Megan Fox. Just from amount of known properties, you know, and she was kind of barely in the marketing for it because you want to focus on how hot Megan Fox is. Yeah, um, it it was it was so badly badly done at the time that it just kind of very quickly tanked and then went away. Yeah, it bombed, and then, and then it, it kind of gained a cult following once it hit like DVD. You know, it's one of those. Hey, let's rent a movie for a weekend. Oh, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, but I think I, when it really gained the cult following was kind of in in the the Me Too era. Because the feminist themes of it. I mean, this was intended to be female empowerment. It was meant to speak to all that, but I think it it got there a bit too early to hit that moment. Uh, as far as with the initial box office. But it speaks to all those same uh, worries in women. But... It came out uh, a bit too early for it to be the conversation in the general populace. Mm. So it's a thing that, you know, if women are watching it, it's something that you immediately pick up on. 
I don't think the men watching it at the time would have immediately been as aware. I mean, themes of a woman not being believed, of a woman uh, using her own... um, That's pretty much the main theme of the movie, is here's this woman, needy, who is trying to warn people and no one believes her. I mean, to the point that her own boyfriend even says, I'm sorry, I didn't believe you on this. Yeah. Um, But also, I mean, it is a woman body literally being sacrificed for the professional advancement of a group of men. I mean, you cannot get more literal as a metaphor than that. And her body is literally being puppeted for the rest of the movie. We don't yeah, know. I mean, we don't know what orientation this this creature is is identifying as because we, we don't know. It's never stated, but it's clear that this is not the same person anymore. Yeah, they they do they do say it is a case of demonic possession. After that, I mean, it is a story of men literally using a woman and a woman's sexuality for their own professional advancement for their career uh in, and it works in the most get- literal way possible i mean it's, it's yeah um and successfully so yeah you're right i mean it, it is a a successful uh thing that they that they do at least for a time Let's. We talked a little bit about the backstory. Let's just talk about uh, the the main actors in this just a little bit more, and then we can really dig into the the plot here. We've already talked about Megan Fox, who plays Jennifer. Like like we said before, this she was mostly known to the public for for Transformers. She had been in a couple of things before that but if you knew her at the time it was going to be for transformers she had unfortunately in the media because of the way she was treated in transformers a very i I guess it's fair to say ditzy sex symbol uh, and and kind of a weirdo sex symbol persona that had been given to her the uh, the Marilyn Monroe effect. Yeah, it was it was very similar to what the media did to Marilyn Monroe. I think it's it's safe to say. Whereas if if you hear Megan Fox talk, she is much more considered than I think most people would expect of her. There are some stories about what happened on the on the uh, Transformers set. But the thing is, though, is that I've, I kind of do feel a bit sorry for, for what was done to her. Uh, I think she's gotten a little bit worse than she probably deserved. She, I mean, coming back, coming back to work with Bay on what many consider to be the worst Ninja Turtles movie ever made didn't help her case. 
Yeah, but at the time, I think it was a thing of not a lot of people were willing to hire her because of the way she was portrayed. Do you work with the one guy who will hire you, or do you not have work? So, yeah, I can see that issue. She has said in interviews that she really felt that she was the correct one, the correct performer to play Jennifer in this film because she she said she felt very in tune with Jennifer and with what had happened to Jennifer. Felt it was very similar to some things that had happened to her. That made me feel kind of sad that she felt she could connect to such a tragic story because honestly nothing in the movie that happens to Jennifer is very nice. And she kind of went full method for this movie, like staying indoors to keep her skin pale and losing a significant amount of weight to make herself look frail in the scenes where, where Jennifer hasn't eaten in a while. Yeah, that's... I, I kind of hate when actors do that, but, you know. I I really do think that as a as an acting job, she did very well. Some of the, the scenes, especially, she can, like... She knows how to play a bitch. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. She, she does. She does kind of have the range, but also in the in the scenes where, like, Jennifer is in the van with the band, and scared you can tell life. that she's scared. You know, she's starting to get worried about, you know, where are we going? Where are these guys taking me? And in the scene on the cliff and yeah. everything, you really start to feel for her. And that's that's not a, a small ask from yeah. an actor. So, you know, I, I was really impressed with her performance. The the other main character, of course, is Amanda Seyfried as Needy Anita. She, like we said, had just come off of Mamma Mia, had probably been her biggest thing just before. And um, like that, she had... Uh, been in Veronica Mars. She was in the middle of her run on Big Love as they were filming this. Another, um, another, uh, well, I mentioned this in Princess Diaries, another case of Hollywood ugly where we, uh, let's put her in baggy clothes and glasses to make her look less hotter than Megan Fox, which actually does play into the story and we'll get into it. I think there's a difference between. And we probably should have discussed this more in Princess Diaries, but Amanda Seyfried did talk about how she felt less pressure than Megan Fox because she wasn't expected to be quote-unquote sexy throughout the movie. She could just be a, a person. Um, and so many times women in movies are not just expected to act, but they're expected to constantly be sexy while they're acting, which is a whole nother ball of weirdness, I think, that not only do you have to worry about 
your performance, but you have to worry about are you being the most attractive you can be at the moment while you're performing? I'm not saying that men in the same position never have to worry about that, but I don't think it's always the first thing in their mind, whereas I think for a lot of women it is. It was interesting to hear her talk about that. That because they did the kind of Hollywood ugly thing for Needy, that it was like, oh, you just get to be an actor now. (laughs) Which I think should be a thing more women should be allowed to do. Again, uh, we can we can talk about that more yeah. as we talk about the, the story itself. The kind of third in the the trio here of main characters is Needy's boyfriend, who is uh, Chip, played by Johnny Simmons. Young yeah, Neil! <laughs> Yeah, I know this young he Neil would, and Scott he Pilgrim. would go. Mo- most of us probably know him as young Neil in Scott Pilgrim, which was his role just after this. Uh, the the role he had done before this was in Evan Almighty, where he played uh, Steve Carell's son, Dylan. Just after this, he would go on to play young Neil in Scott Pilgrim, um, and then. He had parts in um, Perks of Being Wallflower and a few other things. But he does such a good job here as the, like, adorable, supportive boyfriend role. And also kind of a dummy. Well, I mean, dummy, I don't mean dumb as in he's an idiot, but he's kind of oblivious to the supernatural goings-on around him. But honestly, though, he really is just the everyman role. Yeah. Because I think most of us would not... I don't think our first idea in our brain is going to be like, hey, do you think that chick over there is a succubus that's, like, you know, eating all the people in town? Like, I I don't think that's going to be our number one thought. I, I don't I don't really think he's like himbo levels of no. you know Tom. I think he's just kind of the, the everyman. And then our main villain in the story, other than you know Jennifer, who's kind of a unintentional villain, but but our true villain of the story is Nikolai Wolf, the lead singer of the rock band. Uh played by Adam Brody. Most people at the time knew him for either his roles in the OC or uh, his role in um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or maybe uh, Thank You for Smoking, uh, which was a very underrated film, in my opinion. Adam Brody, not the first choice to be uh, Nikolai. They wanted to get uh, Pete from Fall Out Boy or Joel from Good Charlotte, and uh, neither were available. (laughs) They actually wanted an actual 2000s-era singer to play a singer, which makes sense. But uh, they get Adam Brody. His voice is dubbed over. That is not him singing. The interesting thing is, though, is that um, 
Jennifer does have a huge Fallout Boy poster right over her bed uh, as a shout out to the fact that they they really wanted Pete Wentz to to come in and and play the role. It 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 would have been interesting to see that, but I think Adam Brody does a really good job. He's got that that kind of Douchey Swar- menace. That, that swarmy, douchey, yeah, definitely pure. I mean, since we're going R-rated here, I can I just say it, pure asshole. Yeah, I mean, he is the sort of just everyday fuckboy that you'd run into. Constantly getting the town's name wrong, intentionally, as we will find out later. He is intentionally getting the town's name wrong. But, um... Yeah, just, you know, uh, 3% of our song royalties will go to the town and blah, blah, blah. And, you know. Yeah, but he's not hes not portrayed as some kind of, you know, they, they are a, a devil-worshipping band, and he is the leader of that. I think the other guys in the band are just kind of going along with it. It's you not can mustache- tell that. It's not necessarily mustache-twirling villain, but it's like, hey, do you want to be nobodies for the rest of your life? The only way to get ahead is to do it this way. He is such a mundane sort of evil, which I think is the... Kind of makes it worse. Yeah, it's the appropriate thing, because it is the sort of... it's It's that guy that you run into all the time if he if he just stepped over the line just a little bit i have met just so many of that exact guy that it's so weird to just see that guy and be like yeah i could see that guy being like oh, yeah i found a i found a spell to sacrifice a virgin on the internet and I thought eh what the hell it'll get my band a better tour date you know like (laughs) (laughs) which is such the bizarre mundanity of of the whole plot you know (laughs) casual evil is that a thing is casual evil a thing yeah it's it's so casually evil yeah it's it's and it seems so absurd which I think is the genius of Diablo Cody in this is just sitting down and going like, yeah, I could see that dude in the band just being like, yeah, I'd I'd do that. I'd I'd sacrifice a virgin for you know a a a better slot at a better bar in a better town, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and you you wouldn't really I, I don't know it's it's such a a weird thing and it's not like I hate to say it but it's not like people haven't done that sort of thing before mm-hmm. like people have killed for much dumber reasons Just in real life, so the idea that some band would do that for the dumbass reason of, you know, we thought it would get us a better slot. (laughs) 
and and just the only thing that that makes it a that takes it from like a thriller into an actual horror movie is the fact that it works. Yeah. You know, is the fact that the occult is real in this scenario. It would have been a different movie if they had done the thing, you know, made the sacrifice and then nothing happened and it just becomes who murdered Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an entirely different kind of movie. That's like a true crime thriller kind of movie, you know. But it's, you know, the idea of, well, what if they did did this and they screwed it up? Because, I mean, that that really is the, the plot of the, the film is they tried to find a virgin and in attempting to defend her friend's honor and thinking that this douchey band is going to be turned off by the idea of hitting on her friend if they think she's a virgin because rock band hot chick yeah needy says well yeah she is a virgin and she would never sleep with guys like you not realizing they are specifically prowling for a virgin for their sacrifice and then jennifer also makes the mistake once she gets in the van and hears them saying in the middle of their insults about women bet she's you know are we even sure she's a virgin and she also thinks that that will turn them off so she plays into the idea of like yeah i don't i don't even know how to do a sex you should probably find somebody who knows how to do a sex thinking that like okay that's going to be their turn off they're they're going to want to know they're going to want the chick with experience cuz it yeah. turns out she is yeah Oh, you know? yeah, they 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 play that up throughout the I mean, that's said right up straight at the beginning of the movie as it's kind of revealed that she's kind of probably slept with half the guys in that bar, including the cop, which uh, cameo by Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is that she's she speaks rather explicitly about all of the all of the sexual activities she's done with needy and so the audience knows that she's not a virgin i mean she's going to the bar and says you know i'll I'll just flash my boobs at the bartender he'll give me free drinks the thing is is that her playing into that in an attempt to turn them off is the thing that ends up kind of getting her sacrificed because that's what they want and that's what makes the sacrifice go wrong because it turns out in this movie's world if you sacrifice a non-virgin to satan it will give you fame and fortune but it will also turn the victim into a succubus it's like the you know the whole thing starts with jennifer's own thirst not thirst for blood but thirst for men in that she's only going to this concert at the bar because she thinks the lead singer's hot because she saw it on their myspace page because this is early 2000s god i'm old myspace (laughs) god i'm old 
So, like, that's the entire reason of her going there is to... She's intentionally trying to get with the the hot lead singer of the band. But she doesn't want to go alone, so she brings Nene along. And early in the movie, it's kind of shown that even before being possessed by Satan, she's not a good person, Jennifer. She's, you know, like, like Needy wants to spend a night with her boyfriend. And that gets ruined because Jennifer wants to go out. Even when they're they're kind of teasing each other, Jennifer shoves Needy into the wall. Like, from the get-go, it's showing you that this is not a healthy friendship that they have. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, once again, it's so realistic. It's very bizarre when you're watching a movie that's, like, based around demon possession and stuff and go, like, wow, this this is a super realistic movie. Uh, But kind of everything about this movie that's not dealing directly with the supernatural is so painfully real that it's like once you're like and now the demon is just hovering in midair it kind of grounds the the unreality in such a harsh reality that you're like yep I can buy everything else about this because the rest of it is just so awkwardly true to life. Their friendship um, does get questioned very early in the movie as well as, you know, it's they were friends since they were children. And as they grow up in, in into high school, Jennifer becomes hot. She becomes the head cheerleader. And Needy is like the nerdy girl. But they're still best friends. Even though, as as Chip points out, they have very little in common. Yeah, and and sometimes it kind of just it is like that. In in adulthood, it's more that if you meet someone and you don't have much in common, you kind of drift apart. But if you're in a small town like that and there's only one school and there's not much to do and you see each other literally every day. Whether or not you have common interests does not really play a lot into friendship so much. It's just like, okay, I have known you since we were six and I see you for, you know, eight hours every single Monday through Friday, and there nobody moves here, nobody leaves, so you're literally the only person in my life. I guess we're friends. I had so yeah, I mean, many friends like that. I mean, I was going to say you, you, the person who grew up in a small town. Yeah, I mean that is that is so absolutely true to life. It's like we have nothing in common except for the fact that I see you every day and I've known you since we were six years old or whatever, you know. And 
I I guess that means we're friends just by default of we are in proximity together. And uh, okay. And then you grow up. I, I mean, I had friends like that where I grew up and we, you know, we became adults and we, you know, started dating people or, you know, went off to college or whatever. And you look back on it and you go, wow, we weren't friends at all. And in fact, you treated me horribly. And I spent like 12 or 16 years of my life thinking that we were the best of friends and we were going to spend the rest of our lives being BFFs. Or as this movie calls it, Biffs. Yeah. Side note, that is the one thing about Diablo Cody that is kind of mildly infuriating. She is an excellent writer, and I I really do like her work. But she does have a slight weirdness in the way she writes that she gets slang almost correct. It's a kind of weird hello fellow kids kind of writing. So like they wear BFF necklaces but Amanda Seyfried says in the dialogue like we're total biffs. Which is you know not the way you say that. <laughs> and at, at one point at one point uh Megan Fox comes in and she says to someone like you just want to be so like me you're just so jello you are totally lime jello about this and I'm like okay close close that's very very close to what the the saying is I think they even invent a few because the term that Jennifer uses is salty when she talks about hot guys. Maybe it's my oldness, but when I was young, salty generally meant jealous. Well, I mean, salty in these days is kind of more not angry, but it's it's kind of you know, slang changes. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> Kind of, kind of annoyed about things, you know. Like somebody messed with me today, and I'm feeling a little bit salty about that. So I, I got to vent to you for a little bit, you know. <laughs> like that—that's kind of the way it's usually used. I have never once before this movie heard it used as like, mmm, that that guy's a real hottie. Like mm, he's looking real salty today. Like that—that's never, you know, that's not a thing I've heard outside the context of this movie. It might be okay, but you know, it's just—it's something I only associate with this film. Um, so it's—it's kind of like it's kind of like she heard somebody being like, mm, "I'm feeling real salty today," and she thought that person was hot, and she was like, "Yeah, you are looking real salty today," you know, like. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but there is there is a lot of that in the film where it's kind of like you just get like a you heard that word once and like you know it's like she heard somebody be like 
oh, I am totally jelly of that, you know, and, and she was like, yeah, I am feeling jello, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like, like you your parents, you're, right. you know, it's like when your parents start to use your slang, but they get it wrong. And I'm like, but Diablo Cody is not like that, that old, like, it's like, Hello, fellow kids. What's the nine one one? Yeah, it's is the like. I don't think she's, you know. I mean, she's she's like four years older than us. It's it's it, she shouldn't be like that out of step. I don't know. I don't um, know. But I'm, but it's I... it's just kind of adorable in the thing where I'm like, mm, somebody should have told her. I don't know. Um. I want to talk one moment before we get really into this is the town itself. Devil's Kettle, Minnesota. So named because there's a waterfall that goes nowhere. It funnels into a place and no one ever sees it again. Hence the name, the Devil's Kettle. Now, uh, the, the, the band, Low Shoulder, constantly referred to the, to the place as Devil Lake. Up until we do the sacrifice, which to me feels like it was the intention. Like they don't get the they don't get the na- the name of the town right until it's time to do the sacrifice. It feels like they're they're trying to do it to troll people. You know, hmm. part of me when I watched it, like, I thought when he's funny, he says when he finally says it right, it's like was this part of the sacrifice thing that you're not allowed to say the town's name until it happens or something. But even after the sacrifice, he still gets the talent's name wrong, which yeah. you might be right. It'd just be intentional trolling of of what Nikolai calls the shitty city. We're not exactly where sure where the band is from. She just kind of says something like, aren't, aren't you guys from the city or whatever? Could be Minneapolis. We yeah. it's never t- it's never told. We're never told exactly where Devil's Kettle is. But the city and Minnesota usually refer to either Minneapolis or St. Paul. Yeah, so you you get the feeling that like wherever the the band is is from, you know, they're from the the nearest big city to wherever Devil's Kettle is. I think every place has like towns that they kind of troll. You know, I, I I know where I live. We we have places where we have sort of joke names for them. And when you say you're from that place, we're like, oh, you're from. And then we'll say like the joke name. And it's just kind of our way of trolling people from that place, you know. Um, and maybe that's just kind of their thing of like trolling people from you know like your town's too small for us to ever remember the name right or whatever because they talk about like yeah we don't needy says that when they go to see the band they go to the club quote unquote and then she's like but my boyfriend's right we don't have a club we have a pool hall that has taps in it you know because clubs have like bouncers and champagne and you know but ours just has a stage in the corner and <laughs> a couple of you know a couple of pool tables and some 
you know, the video games and the, the sticker toilet or whatever she calls it. And it's it's kind of like that, you know. I I live in a place like that. Like you don't you don't really have a club. You just have like one really crappy bar or whatever, you know. It's really interesting to to see how the the band kind of treats that when they come and Jennifer's all like, "Oh wow, you you showed up." And they're like, "Well, you know, it's it's nice for us to come and connect with our fans in the middle of absolute nowhere, you know." Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we will find out that the reason they're in Devil's Kettle is that's where they need to make the sacrifice. Because the town has devil in the name. But then again, those guys seem like they're that big of idiots to figure out, oh, the the, the sacrifice needs to be in a place with the word devil in it. Well, I'm not even sure it's that so much as who's going to go looking for a chick from the middle of nowhere. Possible. Their logic in believing Jennifer's a virgin, like she's dressed slutty, therefore she has to be a virgin. Uh huh. huh, huh. Well, I think their their original logic was that she was throwing herself a little too desperately at them. You know, the the idea that she, she was, but well, she was a little bit. But I, I think it was the idea of like. You want your first time to be with a rock star? Yeah, is that the the idea that they had the idea of like, she's really looking to lose that V card, man. You know, like the the interesting thing is, is that I think that the the movie is saying that it's. On that particular night, it was Needy that was the virgin in that situation. And Jennifer is not. I mean, the the implication is that... I mean, uh, Jennifer even implies that when she picks up Needy from Chip's house that they just got done having sex. No, I... But it's also the implication that they had sex for the first time later in the film. Yeah, what what I think the implication was was that Jennifer was making jokes about sex to make Needy uncomfortable because she knew that Needy was a virgin. Mm. Shut up, virgins! I'm going to the club to get laid. Um, but I mean, the, the the implication is even that that uh, that Needy doesn't even swear. Yeah, she doesn't even swear for the. I mean. The character doesn't swear until, like... Most of the way through the movie. Until, like, the the last act of the movie. Yeah. The the thing is, though, is that... Girls like Jennifer tend to keep girls like Needy around because there is an inner insecurity in them. Which, which Needy calls out. Yeah, later in the movie, she, she does absolutely call it out. Um, like, you on- peaked two years ago, and you've been hanging out you've been having me hang on to you because you're insecure because you want to feel hot well and the thing is is that it 
it started probably a lot earlier because we actually see, you know, them in the sandbox and stuff when they were little kids and needy taking care of, of Jennifer and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think it probably just grew as they got older and Jennifer found out that she could kind of force needy into that role Manipulation. Like I'm the I'm the popular one and I'm the cute one and I'm the one who's good with boys and needy you're the brainy one or whatever. I mean, we even see needy when she's getting dressed is that she's not allowed to dress hotter than Jennifer. Yeah, I'm not allowed to I'm not allowed to wear a low cut shirt because boobs are Jennifer's things. I can wear a midriff because Jennifer says that's okay. I can do this because Jennifer's you know. It's Jennifer has set the rules for how needy is dressed. So it's like is needy the less hot one or is Jennifer the one that says like, "Oh, that that lipstick looks bad on you, sweetie. Don't wear that." You'll look like a slut or whatever, you know? And it's like, if you, I mean, I'm assuming you probably weren't around groups of high school girls when you were in high school. I, I no, may be wrong no, in that. No, but, no. But uh, if you were, that is the sort of talk that that goes on just when girls are among themselves. There's always just kind of like, these little digs sometimes, you know, of like, oh no, your your hair won't look good like that. No, you you don't want to don't don't do it like that. You know, and it's kind of only in growing up that you'll be like, no, I probably did look cute like that. They just want didn't want me to like, you know, it's like. I mean, somebody else was insecure and was trying to, you know, <laughs> even at the end, Chip says that um, that needy is hot and she just still on that bit of insecurity saying, no, you're, you're just delirious. Yeah. And, and it, it really is that that kind of thing of it's probably been some combination of, you know, well, Amy Sedaris as her mom probably didn't help. Amy Sedaris is wonderful as Needy's mom <laughs> because you know, the the way that the way that she dresses her for that that prom at the end is just and with the world's ugliest dress. Uh, yeah, just that ugly dress and the the horribly like curled and teased hair and the oh, it's it's so. I had flashbacks to one of my proms because somebody did my hair kind of like that. Uh, <laughs> it was awful, but um, the the. The funny, the funny thing is that, like, you know, so that probably didn't help, but probably also Jennifer was doing that to her, probably throughout the the years. You know, you can always see that, like, Jennifer is constantly wearing like all the lip gloss and the cute things and stuff. But like, do you ever want to see her like? share nail polish or anything with needy like it's never like a two-way street mm -hmm. you know it's always like i'm going to be like this and you're going to be the lesser version of me you know 
probably why she called her needy. Well, it's it's very def- it's very definitely why she's named needy in the script. Um, Diablo Cody was was very you know specific on that. Um, but it's it's probably kind of how she got that nickname in in universe as well. There is that homoerotic bit to it as well, I guess. Where are are they kind of in love with each other? Is it just a one way sort of thing? It's implied very early on, where one of the classmates sees, you know, after their cheer routine. Jennifer kind of waves to Needy, and Needy waves back, and one of the and one of the classmates leans in and said, "Are you too gay?" And then they're holding hands at the concert. They have this big passionate kiss later on, and even Jennifer implies that they used to play boyfriend and girlfriend when they were younger. So yeah, and I mean it's it's thing that. I don't know. It's it's such an an interesting relationship because they are so close together. It does seem that Jennifer did have some feelings for Needy as well because at one point she talks about that she after her change, she wanted to come back and kill Needy, and then she realized that she couldn't kill someone she cared about. It's probably, you know, and also throughout the movie, Jennifer straight up hates Chip. For, and there's no reason given. Yeah, he's a dork in the school band, but he's not doing anything. He does, He's not mistreating Needy in any way. Other than the fact that he, he's Needy's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really the only point of contention is that he is her her romantic partner. And you know, Needy even calls it out. Why are you going after Chip? You could you can go after any guy in this town. Why are you going after Chip just to get to me? So it's possible that on some level Jennifer really wanted to have that romantic relationship with Needy, but. The idea of hot chick in high school prevents that because she's very promiscuous with other guys. I mean, like I said, very early on in the movie, it's implied that she has slept with several of the men in the town. Well, the the thing is, is it might be the fact that Needy is the only person that we see throughout the course of the film that doesn't really sexualize Jennifer at any point. Treats her like a person. I mean, even the point with Chip, you can say that, but there is that that point in the park where he does give in to that. You know, well, where he, he just he just got told, hey, your girlfriend's been sleeping around on you. Well, but I mean, there's a there's a difference between being a, attracted to somebody and sexualizing them. 
I wanted to bring this up later, but I'll bring it up now. We we, we do need to 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 talk about Colin for a moment because early on, Colin seems to have no romantic interest in Jennifer. He does seemingly have some sort of relationship with Needy. The two shared, a, uh, according to Needy, the two shared a class together. They worked on a paper together. So they and so they're friends. Needy seems to be friends with several people in the entire school. When Colin seems to ask Needy, "Are you okay?" That's when Jennifer, with you know, post succubus, starts talking to Colin, and then Colin automatically. Automatically starts getting into Jennifer. Maybe it's something that Jennifer has some sort of hypnosis because we see her eyes change. She could have done the same trick to Chip. But maybe again, I've never seen this. This is my first viewing of the movie, and that's my interpretation. If I'm wrong, let me be wrong. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that you're necessarily wrong. It's a valid enough reading. The thing is, is that there is a a point where you could legitimately say that she's looking for whatever's easy and whatever's there. And he just happens to present himself when she is at a low point, just like the football player mm. that is. The victim and uh, the exchange student that is the victim are kind of just easy targets. Colin might also just be an easy target. Chip could be argued to fall into that as well because his fight with Needy before that. Where they sort of break up? Yeah, the, the sort of, you know, let's put it on pause Needy is doing it more for Chip's safety. She thinks that if she gets Chip out of the picture until she's dealt with Jennifer, he'll be safer. Yeah, that went south real quickly. But, you know, him being alone on his way to the dance, unfortunately... Makes him a, an easier target for Jennifer. But yeah, you know, going going back to the kind of Jennifer's quote-unquote seduction technique, I guess. We never really see what happens with her first attempt with the exchange student when she's telling the story of what happened to her. To Needy and she's filling Needy in on, on the story. Um, because everyone thought that that guy died in the fire, fire at the bar. But Jennifer says, no, I, I found him on my way to your house that night. Uh, because she found him wandering around confused after the fire trying to get uh, back to his his host family. Uh, and she realized that no one knew he had survived the fire, and she thought, okay, that's going to be an easy target. And she pulled him into the woods, and we don't really see how exactly she seduced him, 
I suppose. I don't think she. I mean, she even said she needed a quick food, uh, quick thing to eat. I don't think she seduced him at all. She just went for the devour. Well, but succubus implies, you know, and and because of the the way, you know, because she just seduces the football player, she seduces Colin. And she yeah, I mean, seduce. it just it it seems to be the the, the way. Yeah. Um, and of course, just the legend of the succubus. Anyway, mm-hmm. the thing about it is that we don't really see what happened between them. We just know that she shows up later at Edie's house. Though I must say, the the effect of her face transforming the first time we see it with the football player. Pretty good, and it actually holds up compared to current uh, special effects. Yeah, I I don't know how much of that was like digital, and how much of that was like you know a Practical. prosthetic, you know, puppet thing. Um, there are puppeteers listed in the credits, so I know some of it. Something in the film had to be. Yeah. Um. The practical. only thing. Yeah. The only thing that that kind of bummed me out is that we only see that once every other time we see her mouth open it's in shadow yeah so it's like uh, i kind of would like to have seen that effect more than once in the film i do like uh that they went for kind of like a snake jaw thing yeah yeah um she really gets into what she needs from a victim when she talks to Colin, because she needs him she, to be afraid. She needs him to have to be have that little bit of hope. No, she needs them to be entirely hopeless. Mm. Is what she tells Colin, mm. and that's why Needy starts repeating it. And also, if you notice, um, when she takes Chip into the pool at the end of the movie. Somebody has spray painted the word hopeless on the side of the pool. So it is a place of despair, I guess, that she takes him. I I don't really, Uh-oh. we never know the context or who has left that graffiti there or why. But it is there when she brings him into the room that there is the word hopeless spray painted on the I also wanted to bring, now that you mentioned it, is it ever explained how Needy gets psychic powers? There, I have a theory about that. It's not explained in the movie. I don't know if there's like a different cut of the movie than the one we watched. Um, I, uh, I watched this, I watched the cut that's on Amazon Prime. I don't know which one you watched. Um... I didn't watch. I didn't watch that one. I watched the, you know, the original theatrical cut. Um, so, so I don't know. We we may have watched different ones, but uh, the one I watched, it's it's never it's never explained in the in the film, uh, as far as I know, exactly how how Needy comes across her connection. However, my theory is that it was. The transfer of blood between them. Yeah, we get the flashback in, to them as children, and 
uh, Jennifer gets cut in the sandbox. And Needy kisses her boo-boo and makes it all better. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, it it does make me wonder that because of the possession of the demon into um, into Jennifer, and also there is another possibility, which is that when Jennifer comes in right after and vomits the whatever. The black goo. Yeah. Some of it does get into Needy's mouth and eyes and such. And there is a possibility that that might have been part of the demon because when it is on the the ground it is moving almost as if it is alive and there's a throwaway line of needy's mom having some sort of premonition dream yeah there needy's needy's mom does have uh does have these weird dreams about them uh staking Needy to a tree, much like JC. <laughs> so she has this weird dream of her own daughter being crucified, which is also never quite explained. But her mother keeps having these strange night terrors, although she keeps having them in the middle of the day. And we don't know, like, if her mom is an alcoholic or what. It, it, she seems to have like a very odd sleep schedule, and well, it's 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 explained early on when when uh, when Jennifer after right after the possession, she goes to Needy's house. They ask, "Where's your mom?" Oh, she's working late tonight. Well, yeah, I mean... So it could just be that she just has an overnight job and sleeps during the day. Yeah, but the... I don't know, it's just... The way that Needy says it is less like... The way you talk to somebody who has a night job and more like... Yeah, but you were up again all night on a bender, so you're having a daymare. You know, like... Eh. I don't know. It's just like in her delivery rather than like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it just might be like a, a, a weirdness in that particular take. I, I don't One thing think, I, I, I mean, the, the thing about all the, all the whole psychic thing I did like is the fact that she, she knows that Jennifer is kissing Colin just by the feel on, on her lips. Chip. Yeah. Yeah. Chip. Excuse me. Let me yeah. rephrase that. Like, she knows that Jennifer is kissing Chip just by the feel of his lips. Yeah, she can, can, she can taste him, her boyfriend. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it it is kind of a a fascinating thing. I I just kind of wish it was, it feels like a scene got cut that would have explained that. I, I don't know. There, there are some really funny little, little moments in there, like, she goes and 
Needy goes and looks up what Jennifer is in the occult section of the school library. Our library has a, has an occult section? Apparently so. <laughs> yeah, but it's very small. <laughs> uh, which I, I just I found so hilarious. I do like that we we started with you know seeing needy as an inmate with scars on her body and stuff picking fights then we get the whole narration of what happened with Jennifer also the one thing i wasn't expecting needy has a pet ferret yeah like just automatically a plus hero move right there from the ferret 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 approved (laughs) ferret approved you know it's it's such an interesting kind of ride of a of a film as it goes through this whole thing of how the band rides this weird tragedy of the the fire in the bar they were playing at which did they start the fire yeah i mean it that, could be a- that was kind of interesting like did the did the fire was it an accident or did they yeah. start it because the band seems completely in control not phased yeah. by the fire at all the way they just kind of wander out and they're like hey whatever because we see because we see nikolai looking off to the side and then something catches on fire these these guys are already into the occult as it is, and on top of that, it seems that the song that they're singing is hypnotizing Jennifer, because she just zones out during it and is completely zoned out up until she regains consciousness after they're in the in the in the, in the van ride. Yeah. So did they like spike her drink or did they? Yeah, I don't know. It's so bizarre. I mean, when you're dealing with the occult, it could just simply be hypnosis. There, I, I love all these, like, random little unexplained things that you're like, you know, was it magic or was it, you know, do other people in this story have powers or what? Um, but also, was there rise because they sacrificed Jennifer or was, did they accidentally sacrifice, like, an entire bar full of people to Satan? And that might have been the the reason. (laughs) That was the other thing I've always kind of wondered about it is like, did, was there a rise because they, you know, sacrificed quite a few people in that bar? And maybe one of them was a virgin. (laughs) I mean, what they say, something like eight students died in that fire and several of the teachers. Yeah, several adults, you know, because there's just like a whole bunch of people that were you know, working in the bar and all that kind of stuff, you know. I mean, it's the only bar in town, so people getting off, people who may not even be interested in the band, they're just going to the bar to get a beer after work. Yeah, I mean, did Chris Pratt's cop die in that bar? We don't know. I mean, he was in there. Do we know if he ever We never see him in the rest. We've never seen him in the rest of the movie. But it's Im- um, it's implied that Jennifer's still banging him because he says I can do whatever well, I want. I'm banging a cop. But is that like a 
still an ongoing thing or I'll get sympathy because I, I, they know me. Possible. You know? So, yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't know. I mean, that's only like a month later. So, you know, it might've just been like, Hey, remember, you know, I'm, I'm that guy's girlfriend and he just died. You know, like, I don't know. It's very interesting how in a, how realistic they handle students reacting to grief. Like, you know, oh, you know, another death and no one really cares because grief was yesterday's news. Well, but also it's, they're having so much death in such a short time in such a small town. And she says, you know, when Needy and Chip are talking about it, she she says, like, we know everyone. And it feels like any time one person dies here, the whole town stops. Well, they just had a mass death occurrence in this town. And before they can even grieve that, then the football player dies. And before they can finish grieving that, Colin dies. And before they can finish grieving that, like, you get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's just suddenly compounded and compounded and compounded. This whole story takes place over, like, two months, three months tops. During which, like, I don't know, a dozen people have died in Mm -hmm. a very small town. That's a massive amount of literally everyone in the town would be impacted by that grief. Everyone is going to be connected to someone who died on a very personal level. Um, So everyone in the town is going to be grieving at least one of those people. They're they're not going to have time to process. I mean, Jennifer takes advantage of that. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that the way that the band is taking advantage of that, because they say that the town has made national news, and because the band was there, the band has started using that to forward their own agenda as like, we were the band that was playing that night. Oh, we you saved know. people from the fire. And-, and yeah. And now there's this story that they saved people from the fire, even though needy is saying like, no, I was there. They didn't save anybody. They left while people were literally running out of the building on fire, you know? Um, I watched them walk away uh, and save themselves. So, and and it almost gets her into a fight in school in front of the teacher who has just played so wonderfully by J.K. Yeah, I want to I want to like I want to give give a shout out to J.K. Simmons in this movie who is wearing the most ridiculous wig and for reasons that are never explained a hook hand a hook hand. We don't know why it's never, maybe he, it's never mentioned. Maybe he used to be the shop teacher. Yeah, we, we don't know, but okay, sure. And he he's just such a bizarre, unexplained character that wanders through the movie saying strange things in this like bizarre, he's intentionally, they, wig. 
they intentionally make him uncool. Like, you, you, you know, like he's trying to the uncool adult is trying to connect to the kids and failing miserably. Yeah. But Needy almost gets into this fight with the this other girl who is a total stand for the the band who's like, they're the heroes we need now. And Needy is rightfully saying they're not heroes. They, you know, they were there. Yeah. And then they just walked away and left people there. Which, I mean, they didn't have to be heroes. They they were also possibly victims in that situation if the fire was accidental, you know. But they're also not heroes, you know. It's just but take, they, away, take away what happened to Jennifer and just focus on the fire. If the fire was an accident, they're just bystanders at the bar. You know, they're they're neutral parties at that point. Um, and this girl is like, no, no, I heard a rumor that they saved a whole bunch of people. And, you know, now their their song is bringing us all together in the midst of our grief. And, you know, it's a whole thing. And the band is playing into that in order to further their career. And they're now becoming this very famous band. And we see later on in the film that they're going on tour and they're getting more fans and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as a good PR move, they come back to play the, the school dance, the school dance at the school in the town where the tragedy happened and, you know, all that kind of stuff. They so even they name the dance after the song they wrote about the, about the fire. Yeah. I think I think that that is that is also one of the sickest moments is that as Jennifer is pleading for her life right before they sacrifice her, that she's, you know, begging for her life. And they're like, hey, maybe we'll write a song about you as a fan. That would that would make you very happy, wouldn't it? And then they start mocking her by Jenny, 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 who, yeah. Yeah. Eight and, six seven five three oh nine. Yeah, and then they start killing her to that song as the whole band is singing that song. I mean it's it's kind of like you said, it's a it's a dark comedy, so there is humor in that scene, but there's also just such bizarre brutality and such mundane brutality. Casual evil, I think that's a yeah. thing now. And it's the way that they, you know, come come back to all these students and are just like, you know, hey, we're going to sing this song for you, you know. And the only person in the room that's just absolutely disgusted by it is Needy. Because that song is everywhere. I mean, that song becomes... Uh, uh, inescapable uh, uh, throughout the movie you know at all these at all these points in the movie you know people will turn on a radio and there's that song again as as uh jk simmons character says it's become the unofficial theme song of the town yeah and of course it's it's horrible because the things that are going on in the town are horrible so if that's the theme song of the town you know what is what does it say about the town the the evil that is feeding on the town um through the trees <laughs> yeah and so you know when when we get that you know heartbreak as needy 
stands up to to Jennifer finally and you know Chip helps stab Jennifer but of course it doesn't work because you have to stab her through the heart when she's at her weakest and Chip gives his life sadly you know needy finally has to be like you know you needy snaps you never treated me right. You never, and and you took away the only person that actually did treat me right. I mean, Chip wasn't a perfect boyfriend, and he made the same kind of mistakes all the teenage boys kind of make, fumbling at the start when they're trying to figure out, you know, interpersonal relationships. Just like Needy makes the start of mistakes that teenage girls make when they're trying to figure out interpersonal relationships because that's just kind of how humans are he was at least genuinely trying to be kind and supportive to her he wasn't trying to tear her down wasn't taking advantage of her yeah he he wasn't trying to push her into anything he wasn't the, the, the two have this conversation is that you know you know, oh, by the way, I bought these condoms. Not that I'm insinuating anything. No, 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 you're not insinuating anything at all. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, it just, it really is. And you can see even when he buys the condoms, she's like questioning the type of condoms that he buys. And he's like, well, you know, it's supposed to be more pleasure for the girl. And, you know, all this kind of, I mean, it's like he's he's at least trying to think about it, you know. It's like, which is kind of sweet, you know. It's like. <laughs> It was like he he wasn't trying to, you know, be weird about it or anything. You know, it's like, well, not only did I go out and buy condoms, I bought condoms that I thought you would like. You know, it's like. <laughs> if you, you know, ribbed for her pleasure, as they say. Yeah, it was like, it was like, well, that was kind of a sweet move. You know, it was like, okay, you know, like, good, good for you, kid. Like, all right. But the. The thing is, though, is that that is the point where Needy snaps. She's like, I, I kind of had one person who was genuinely trying to be nice and an equal partner to me in my life, and Jennifer took that away just because like, she could. Yeah, because she could, and and it was kind of the final straw in a, a long line of that in a pretty toxic friendship. And despite the genuine affection that I do think that they felt at some point uh, prior to, you know, when all this went down and a demon entered the picture, um, that you know, Needy has to stop the demon, at least, uh, because, let's face it, whatever Jennifer was did die at, at that sacrifice. That is a really interesting and sad and sweet, almost, I mean, it's Death also, scene. yeah, the, 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 you know, he says that he loves her. He says that she looks hot in this ugly ass dress. 
and this ugly ass hairdo that her mom gave her. Yeah. And she said, Oh, you know, you're, you're just being delirious, but it's like, he loves you. He, you, you could be wearing sweats and have your hair up in a bun and he'll still say you're hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it, it's interesting that you went back to, to Chip's death scene because I was actually talking about Jennifer's. Um, oh yeah, the, the final fight. I have to say the music direction in that in this final part of the movie with that hard guitar when she's running at to him and then the final fight between Needy and Jennifer. Yeah. Mwah, perfect. The, the whole soundtrack is fired. Like the the both the music that they use and the score, just perfect. Love it. Love everything about it. But yeah, the whole the whole thing where where they they Jennifer and Needy, you know, they have their fight in the bedroom, and even in her weakened state, it, Jennifer is still able to, you know, levitate and all that kind of stuff. But then she. <laughs> falls and needy is able and what, to and what gets that. it yeah what makes her fall is that needy rips off the bff necklace yeah as if she's severing their connection you know using that momentum to to plunge the knife into her heart but during that fight though of course she gets bitten uh needy gets bitten by jennifer um, we're going by werewolf rules, apparently. Well, yeah, I mean, there is a bit of that, but um, the fight wakes up Jennifer's mom, who finds Needy in there with her her daughter's dead body, and uh, uh, it, and it's a box cutter. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a box cutter. Yeah, that is an interesting choice of final weapon. I mean, she even said it's for cutting boxes, and she cuts ha, up. Ha, wink, wink. Ah. The thing is, is that we we find out as we we flash back, of course, is that what people don't know is that if you are bitten by a demon and survive, you get demonic powers. Some of them. She can levitate, and she seems to have enhanced strength. Yeah, so she breaks out of the asylum that she's in. I mean, telling everyone my best friend was possessed by a demon and ate all the kids that died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People would probably put you in a sound for that. Well, I mean, she might not have even told people that. It just might have been like, oh, if you killed... Jennifer, maybe you've been doing all the other killings, and since the other people got it, you know, they might have just figured she was insane, you know? Like, oh, you're a murder cannibal. Well, that that's the crazy house, you know? Um, so she might not have even told anybody about the supernatural part of it. Um, they might have just blamed all the murders on her and just decided she was criminally insane. However, we we get to, to see her hitchhiking and we get a cameo by Lance Henriksen 
I think we last talked about him when we talked about Alien. <laughs> yeah. Um. So nice, nice little horror cameo there. He picks her up, and I always kind of wonder if he came to a bad end because he does seem like he's picking her up for maybe nefarious reasons. An old man picking up a young girl off the off the highway, possibly. I mean, he does seem like he's kind of maybe starting to flirt with her a little bit. So I do kind of wonder if he got out of that situation alive. And she tells him that she's following a band and tonight's going to be their last show. So she really needs to get there. And then we get the kind of during the credits. Credit scene. Yeah. As we see the, uh, the members of the band going into their swank hotel as they've had a glow up from all their success. It looks and like someone's making. It looks like someone's making a documentary about it. Could you get a camera guy? Yeah, I I don't know if that's supposed to be like one of the members of the band taking footage or somebody else taking footage of them. But it's a it's a store bought handy cam. I've had one of those. Yeah, I, which makes me think that maybe it's just a member of the band you know, filming. Yeah. Like, you know, home movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, you know, they're, they're having their party, they're doing their drugs. And then there's a knock on the door and, and then there's a lot of blood and then there's cops and crime scene photos. And then we get our, our, security cam footage of a bunch of you know happy giggly fans going one way and needy in a hoodie coming the other way and staring at the camera (laughs) so it's nice to know that the band got theirs yeah the band got theirs at the very end so let's, let's go to the question kiki does jennifer's body have the magic I mean, I think it does. I, I I think it deserved better than it got when it originally came out. Uh, I I like it. I all right. I will agree with you that the advertising did not do this movie justice. That it focused too much on the body part of Jennifer's body and not anything else in the movie. That if it had focused more on that, it probably would have got a, 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 a better, more favorable uh, reception. But I don't know. It's it, it. This is one. This is a weird one where I, I don't know if I like this one or not. And we have a binary system, so I kind of have to go one way or the other. I mean, I've made I've made a non-binary choice before, so yeah. you're you're free to go. Eh, it's mm, it's well filmed. The acting is good. Special effects are amazing. I don't know if I like the story. I don't know. I feel like if it had swayed more into the comedy or more into the horror, I would have liked it more. But I don't know. It's a fine movie. That's how I say. Uh, 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 I'm stumped on this one. It's it's. I like parts of this, and I definitely like the the final fight between Needy and Jennifer, two best friends, with this final face off. 
I'm going to eat your soul and shit it out and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, my again, but if I had to pick one complaint, uh, I think it's something that it's uh, the same one that probably you have as I wish they had explained better the psychic connection between Needy and Jennifer. Maybe there's a director's cut or an unrated cut that explains this. I don't know. So my my you know I've never I don't think I've ever done this, but my grade is. Maybe I have to watch it a couple more times to really get it. But again, this is the first time I've seen the movie. So. I mean, eh. I think that's a fair assessment. Some some art is, you know, con- I, I, I don't want to say confusing, but some art is, you know, some art you're kind of left unsure of how you feel. Yeah. The movie isn't as sexy as it was advertised. And not as scary as it could have been. I think that's going to be my... As after this first viewing. Not as sexy as it was advertised. Not as not as scary as it could have been. So next week we are continuing the real deal horror with... Uh, a true OG horror movie... With it, with one of the greatest horror movies ever made, check your head if you have the mark. We are going with the original 1976 version of The Omen. I can't wait. If you thought this one, folks, was the one you're not going to have to listen to with your kids, next week's going to be worse. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I you know, we warned you we're we're going absolutely straight up horror f- films for the rest of the month. So, yeah. So, uh come back next week for The Omen and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the US, The American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.